This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host, Brock Wilbur, and the editor-in-chief of the podcast. How is everybody doing? Are you having a warm day? Hopefully so. Seems like the terrible Arctic blast is beyond us. There is a Twitter account called Midwest vs. Everyone that really loves to sum up our approach to things uh, in, in fun meme format. They had a tweet the other day that was... Um, just describing uh, Midwesterners uh, with their windows rolled down while they drive in 50-degree weather because they don't want to waste such a warm, beautiful day. And that was absolutely me today and will continue to be me for some time. Don't care. Just like to feel my uh, hair in the breeze again without it freezing in the process. I hope everyone is doing well out there. Um, getting very excited for the women's soccer team coming to Kansas City. Uh, we have some great players coming in. Uh, just finished watching uh, a big uh, women's soccer international cup game where uh, I kept trying to find one of our new players on the American team. Uh, and it turns out uh, that she was on another country's team. She's coming here, of course, at the end of this, but um, playing against us for now. And I was like, okay, loyalties are divided. Um Excited for her to come here. Oh, and and there we are. My cat Bernstein snuck down into the basement. He's not allowed to be here. And now he is trying to get out. What he loves to do is break in whenever I open the door. I uh, usually stop him. Didn't see him come down this time. And then he immediately decides he doesn't want to be in the basement anymore. So, yep, that's what he does. He just bats my leg with his forehead, letting me know he's here and unhappy. Bud will get out of here soon. I promise. Uh, today on the show, we have uh, a really fun rock star interview uh, coming up later. Uh, we will have uh, Nick's Music Corner, as per always. Oh, my God, Kat, stop rubbing your face on everything. I, I live down here, so you don't get fur on things. Oh, my God, you're banned for a reason, and you are just rubbing it in my face. First up today, though, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is reading an article from a most recent magazine. Uh, it is J.M. Banks's article on Brian Shannon. Uh, Brian is a black entrepreneur in the Kansas City area who uh, turned getting a series of parking tickets into an app worth millions and now is reinvesting in the community. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous story, and I'm so glad that we got to report on it. Here is that. What we do in the shadows. The Secretive Rise of Brian Shannon by J.M. Banks In the startup world, a good business idea is something that can take years to cultivate and produce. Or you can just be Brian Shannon. That seems to be working out. If you aren't in the local entrepreneur scene, you probably don't know the name. The 37-year-old St. Louis-born CEO and author is completely happy with his name remaining unknown. Yes, a foreign idea in steep contrast to our current age of maximum exposure and a constant self-promotion. However, one lesson that Shannon learned from a mentor early in his journey was that true power is yielded from the shadows, and it is from the darkness that Shannon has built an empire in Kansas City. Shannon left college at UMKC with a business degree, but also a massive pile of traffic tickets from the campus parking authority. Combining that education and experience of having to deal with the tedious task of managing his traffic violations led Shannon to the idea of creating Ticket RX LLC in 2015. Initially, the company and its technology started as a platform to help average drivers resolve traffic issues. In his time working within the field, Shannon came upon the realization, for any common driver, a traffic violation can be an inconvenience, but for someone who drives for a living, it can mean their jobs. Much to his surprise, he unknowingly discovered a practical application for his technology within the trucking field. The company technology was able to do in seconds what other companies would take days to accomplish, for someone in the trucking field, a couple of days could mean a lot of money for a driver. Here in the U.S., truckers are held to a strenuous point system called a CSA score, Compliance, Safety, and Accountability, which carriers that employ drivers use as something like a credit. 
For a driver attempting to keep a pristine record for better employment opportunities, it is unfortunate to receive an out-of-state ticket while commuting multiple trips between states. They would be required to fight for the ticket to be removed from their record. As TicketRx made the pivot into this new arena, a competitor spotted them out and a bidding war ensued within the top two companies, both within the field which caters to the driving records of the countless members of the trucking industry. Within two years of starting his business, Shannon was able to have one of the most spectacular and unexpected entrepreneurial exits from a Kansas City startup in recent years. Even though the story of Ticket RX LLC from Genesis to Rap spanned only the course of a couple of years, Shannon's journey was neither easy nor a pleasant one, to say the least. He recounts his earlier days courting mentors in the business field and the difficulties making contact. Those individuals that I reached out to would say to you that they reached a point where they knew I wasn't going anywhere. I was so resilient at calling, emailing, and talking to a friend of a friend for an introduction, he says. Shannon credits his determination to being able to build a core group of mentors. They were established, legitimate businessmen who recognized the hunger in Shannon and took him seriously. As most individuals in business or any field that requires a great deal of time and dedication, any time given is an investment. Fortunately, Shannon was able to find local mentors from all backgrounds. Though a busy man and constantly short on time, Shannon never declines a request to listen to a young entrepreneur going through the struggle of getting their idea off the ground. According to the new mogul, I have to know that person is serious, because you live and die by who you stand next to. Brand equity is extremely important to me, because you are either building your brand or your brand is demising. Even though he has seen a vast amount of success at such a young age, Shannon has no intentions of stopping and coasting on past accomplishments. There's never this point where you have officially arrived. There's always a next step, or next level, the next thing you have to do, he says. Shannon will now tackle the role of first-time author as he is scheduled to release his book, Bootstrap to Exit. Shannon credits books like The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho and The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz for providing invaluable tools along his journey and the power of literature to shape minds. Kansas City has seen its fair increase in the number of black and minority small business owners in the metro area. Considering the lack of mentors, Shannon hopes his book will be a much-needed resource within the urban core. Shannon truly sees the importance of legacy. While helping the next generation of up-and-coming entrepreneurs in the community arise is important, nothing gets higher priority than his role as a father and husband. The Shannon family is at no loss for business-minded individuals. While Shannon pursued his dream, his wife, Lucretia Shannon, used her experience as the backbone of the household to author her own book, The Real Life of a CEO Wife. Even three of their children have gotten in on the act that Shannon calls the highlight of his life so far. In the spirit of good old-fashioned American ingenuity, the kids ripped the stuffing from their stuffed animals and packed it into their own self-made paper figures that they dubbed stuffies. Their father watched as they set up a table in the driveway to sell their creations. I'm just going to be honest, I didn't expect them to sell anything, jokes Shannon. To his surprise, these pieces of paper with cotton began to sell out on the block. Shannon recounts a line from Jay-Z, I would rather die enormous than live dormant. He is living it in himself, and he can see the influence in all those around him. Through fearless hunger, bold risk, and humble dedication, Shannon has ended up becoming a figurehead of the black entrepreneurial sphere in KC. He chooses to work from the shadows, and despite his many personal successes, this path may be his most important role yet. And now, ladies and gentlemen, oh my god, the cat is putting his tail in my mouth, please, bud. Tail out of the mouth. Why are you so extra weird down here? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Hey, there's a new Nan in the One Night Stands album. It's called High Caliber, and it just dropped last Friday, February 19th. The new five-song EP from Schwervon's Nan Turner features co-production by Chase Horseman, and the track we're featuring, Lion, has Liz Weiler of the Vedettes on bass, Pat Tomic of the Rainmakers on drums, and Backup Vox by Don Don and Tracy Flowers. It's a La Tigre meets Luscious Jackson track, but High Caliber also features the dream pop of the opening cut, Yeah, and the sunny sounds of other people's feelings as well. It's all truly excellent, and you should hit up nanturner.bandcamp.com to hear the whole thing. Here's Lion. Lion 
is in winter, Mick Jagger and his printer. I'm strong as a heavyweight, I'm dropping like a dinner plate. General, fix my back, crack it like a cracker jack. the calls, sparking under. Timber. I'm a CB, I'm calling my witch army. Dynamite is good for a gold toilet man of war. Out of my Uterus. growing something. Uterus. It's called self respect. I know because, because I checked. I got my money more rank. I got a hole in my defense. I need to learn to reap, and I'm dripping like Sopsa. shopping in the. Sopers. You look so much younger. younger. Let's start a tumbler. I see you through the glass. I'm laughing, no, it's gas. Boys in the band, sit down, I'm gonna stand I gotta suck a punch like Betty Davis punk Women on the inside, time to take a joyride No time to divide, hold on to fake pride How long? Cut through! How long? What you gonna do? How long? Cut through! How long? What you gonna do? And now uh, we're doing something that's uh, kind of fun. Uh, Nick Spacek, our uh, music editor, who you might know from Nick's Music Corner. Um, Nick had the idea of talking to the band that he last saw before coronavirus hit uh, on the one year anniversary of the show where that happened. So I thought I would do the same thing. Uh, and that show for me was the band Murder by Death. Murder by Death <laughs> sounds like a death metal band. Uh it's a wonderful country rock band uh, uh, features a cello. Uh, they do concept albums about things like the exorcist uh, or, or old wild West town, sometimes both at the same time. Uh, and they have long been a fixture of, uh, of this part of the country. They aren't from here, but like when they come through Lawrence or Casey, they're, they're just old hat. They're friends. Everyone here knows them because they've been doing this for 20 years and they're so incredible at what they do. Uh, so on the one year anniversary, of uh, them being my last show uh, pre-coronavirus and it being one of their last shows before shutting down for a year. Uh, I talked to their lead singer, Adam Turla, about what this has been like, especially because uh, Murder by Death has done an incredible pivot this year uh, into Patreon, into doing albums, into finding a way to make it through as musicians uh, in a time where musicians can't tour. Uh, and that includes... The Darkest Imaginable Christmas Album, uh, which I highly recommend that you look up. Uh, it is it is exactly what you would see in your head if somebody told you the band Murder by Death was doing a bunch of Christmas music. Anyway, here is my discussion with Adam. Are you recording video? No, no, absolutely okay. not. <laughs> okay, then, then let's leave it. <laughs> Good. I, my, my my wife keeps trying to get me a ring light throughout pandemic. I was like, no one cares what I look like. It doesn't need to. <laughs> I seriously looked at myself before this because I was like, oh, it's a video thing. Uh, I should look at my face, which I have not done in a year. <laughs> you know, like, like so I have a giant beard. I was just, like not looking at myself, you know. It's just like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who is there to impress? I right, right before this hit was the first time in my adult life. I was like, I should put away all the band shirts and like buy some professional adult attire, a couple of nice suits, and now just like sweatpants every day. Who the fuck for? <laughs> you haven't bought a single piece of clothing 
since like I bought the stuff that I wore on that farewell to or farewell the uh, uh, 20th anniversary tour <laughs> farewell oh my god <laughs> it feels like that now but uh, boy uh, so yeah that, that, yeah that that is that is as bleak as as I suppose <laughs> the subject matter is so the sort of the the angle here for this series that we're doing is a bunch of us are uh, interviewing the last bands we saw before shutdown. We saw yeah. you guys at uh, at Liberty Hall and yeah. Lawrence, uh, and you you especially like we've we've traveled all over the country to see you guys. We we come to the the big uh, Stanley show every year, but like whenever you're in Lawrence, you always deliver like the most sincere like Lawrence talk imaginable. Like it seems like you guys really truly love the city, and there was something uh, particular about this one where you were playing Memorial Hall, and you sort of detailed how over the course of 20 years you've slightly graduated venues within the city of Lawrence from somebody's basement on up until now like why does Lawrence mean so much to you <laughs> well so okay so it's one of those places that was one of the earlier cities that we started feeling like not that we weren't just like playing but that we started to meet and befriend people in and cities that responded to us and so I mean I've been going back and like, I've been just writing a ton um, of our history. And like the first cities that we ever played out of town were like Iowa City and Champaign-Urbana. And then Lawrence was one of those ones that followed soon after. And I think that it spoke to us because we were coming from Bloomington, Indiana, um, another college town. And so there was this sort of like kindred spirit thing, like, oh, here's a place where all these like young people are centered. And here's a place where in a state that's kind of like, you know, I don't know, just like it's it's like whatever. It's the blue, it's the blue circle in the in the giant the red blue square. oasis in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just and then not, not even to politicize it, but just like it's the place where anybody who wants to do anything interesting often finds themselves, if not for entertainment, uh, for work or for education. You know those those cities have a, a big impact on people, and uh, you know I mean it just becomes a uh, it, it was something for us that we we saw this thing in Lawrence. We're like, oh, this is okay, and you know we we knew about all the Lawrence fans um, from you know people who are just like a little bit older than us. Um, like we had uh, seen like uh, the anniversary and the Get Up Kids and like. Um, you know, there's all those bands coming out of there at the time. So it was familiar to us. Do you have any uh, recollections of this, uh, this 2020 show in Lawrence that uh, would have oh, set yeah. it aside from? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the big feeling that I have attached to it was, well, one, we were excited to, to see Liberty Hall because, you know, it's fun to like, there's something about that, like the main strip, you know, Mass Ave, where you like, you just, I do the walk every time. I just walk the strip and <laughs> you walk by and say, oh yeah, you remember that show here with so-and-so and like, and you just kind of like go through like, oh yeah, I bought this book. I remember at this bookstore or Will Pepple's dad used to run everything but ice right there. And like all these like funny little like memories of, um, of the city. And um, that show, uh, it will definitely be connected in my brain as the last show from that tour that felt like normal at all because it was like all the COVID reporting was coming out and we were wary and we were definitely like uh, I don't know maybe it's just on the west coast I don't know you know we were sort of on that date we had just played the night before and we drove through the night we played Denver which was the biggest club show we've ever played so we're like just reeling with excitement and the tour had been doing so well we show up in lawrence for our biggest lawrence show and that was really you know we were excited about that and um but we were also starting to become like concerned that the tour was not going to finish normally at that point we were thinking oh maybe they're gonna have to reduce the capacities or something because there was no talk of just like all of civilization shutting down yet and um yeah, so I mean, no, seriously, like we're on the road monitoring it every day. We're on the drives, reading everything we can. But, you know, we're seeing like venue capacities being reduced to 75% or whatever. 
we're like, okay, well, nothing yet in Kansas. So we're okay. Where are we at tomorrow? We were in Columbia the next day. And then uh, we had two days off. And th- during those two days off, right after that, it was like, oh, some shit is going down. And then like, we started to see, you know, like, I think in Iowa, we had sold like 500 tickets, but only 400 people showed up or like, there's something happening. They're making the decision for us at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, people, people were starting to react and we were like, oh, okay. So this, this is getting around and it's making people concerned. And then it was like, you know, a couple of days after that Lawrence show was, uh, was the day that like 10 minutes before we went on stage in Minneapolis, uh, I got the, basically the last bit of information I needed from our agent and manager that they were like, yeah, the tour's over. Like you're, you gotta get home now. And so we were like, okay, I guess we'll play this fucking show for two hours. It was just so depressing. Like to play, to play, you know, a couple of days later, the difference between the Lawrence show, which was really fun with like a little bit of worry and a lot of joy though, you know, it's just the people were just having a great time, us included. And then like a few shows later, it was just like really hard to play. But did, did you go out on that one with like a, was that a night of multiple encores? Just like, ah, fuck it. It's the end of the tour. Let's. Uh... No, I mean, we, I mean, we did a typical, yeah. I mean, we did like two, two songs, but that's pretty standard. Um, and then we were just like, all right, good night. We didn't talk about it. We didn't want to say anything because we, we were just kind of bummed about it. And we're like, well, we'll figure, we'll figure it out tomorrow. And so we, we basically, there was a chance that, it might not all be canceled, but we knew that that's the next day's show is canceled. And we're like, maybe we have to go to do some of the shows, but not all of them. And the next morning, it was just like the morning of Friday, March 13th. It was bizarre. I mean, we just, everything shifted that morning in the touring world. Like we were getting bombarded with emails from promoters, just like it's canceled. Like it's where, you know, we have to postpone it or whatever. And, uh, and our, thing was we're up in Minneapolis and we live all over the country and so it became how do we get home right you know? and we, we have we have people in Oregon Colorado Georgia everybody went their separate ways like people jumped on flights Sarah and I drove from Minneapolis to Louisville Kentucky had to pick up like 2,000 pounds of merchandise in Chicago that we had mailed for the shows there and we had to rent a vehicle because we had mailed so much stuff because we were selling so much merch that we had to rent a vehicle. It was this crazy logistical nightmare, canceling flights, canceling European tour, canceling hotels, trying to get refunds for probably a hundred thousand dollars of expenses. Like, I mean, it was insane. Like it was my March and April were just, and then, and then we have our restaurant and it was like, Oh, now the restaurant's going to get in trouble. And, and it became this whole other thing. It was, it was wild. It, it feels particularly funny and or bad that as in the process of trying to like make sure that you're safe in a pandemic, you also had to crisscross the country for merch. That seems like. I mean, it was on the way, but it was just like, we were, you know, in our minds, it was like, oh, well, they'll probably be back to having shows in a couple of weeks. And it's like filling up their building. And we were just trying to be polite, I think. But yeah. You know, I'm glad I got it because we have been selling that merch on our web store like for a year now. And like, you know, we got it. So it was already paid for, you know, but yeah, it's just the logistics of it. Like, and I, and I was definitely like straight up depressed. I mean, I was, (laughs) I was depressed because I had put so much personal work into this tour, into all the bookings and logistics and marketing the ticket sales and like getting all the artists together for the art and like I had put so much work in and going and playing the shows was like the last 5%, you know, but then it was just like, Oh, it's gone. And it was, it was crazy, but I got over it pretty fast. Like it, it just, it was just like, I, I was looking forward. We were going to be done with the tour in like two and a half weeks. And so I was like looking forward to the break that would mean. And then I didn't get that break. You know, it, I went straight into pivoting. And, and I imagine that this period is uh, depressing to you in the same way it was to uh, fans because there was sort of this, it's the hope that kills you thing where like everyone kept being like, so this festival's still on for two months or it's been postponed yeah. 
till August. And you were like, I just don't think it's happening, but maybe I'm still keeping those plane tickets for that one. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. So the reality of, you know, they were, they underplayed, I think they really underplayed like how long shit was going to be shut down. So people didn't panic. And I, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody because I have no idea what I would have done if I was like in a position of, you know, trying to explain this to people. But, um, you know, we were like, we immediately rebooked the tour for July thinking that's four or five months from now. Right. <laughs> like nothing like this has ever happened. You know, we've been doing this for 20 years. You know, we were looking at it like, well, we've never had, we never even had like a tour canceled, you know? Um, well, you've, you've uh, been together for 20 plus years and you've never had like a skip year in that time. You've never had to like, why would anyone just, be ready for this? <laughs> we've never had anything happen that created a problem. Like, yeah. So we would, we were just always like, we, if we book a show, we play the show. And, uh, <laughs> you know, about almost 2000 times. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, are we not going back to work ever? <laughs> you know, And there, it's kind of crazy because without being, um, without exaggerating, I mean, I think there are people that, that by the time shows can happen again, it's like, they've just got to move on. You know, I, I, there's just, you got to find something else. And like, maybe you can fit it in, but like, I definitely have spoken to people who have taken on new career paths, people who just are like, yeah, I think I might be done with music. And, you know, I don't blame anybody for doing that. It's, it's not like we're getting any help from the government. Like I couldn't get unemployment, you know, it's, it's like, it's just, it, you know, we're, we're seen, we're seen as, uh, you know, non-traditionally employed people. So um, it's, they just don't, they don't take care of people like that. And it's, it's just one of those weird American things. Which comes to the sort of the, the big thrust here, which is that you as a band pivoted really hard into being able to do this sort of Patreon supported. There's still content coming from us. We're still making music for you. And like, you're also like writing essentially a history of the band that comes out in email form that I hope someday is just put it in a book. I'm definitely going to buy that book and ask you to sign it someday. But like, that's what our manager keeps saying. He's like, "You're, dude, you're writing your memoirs." Because I had no idea what I was going to do when I started, but uh, he's yeah. like, "You're writing your memoirs. This is your first draft, you know." And this is, it's like, oh, that's not a bad idea. It's not what I meant to do. When, when you guys were like, okay, this is the thing that we're doing. How long did you spend talking about it? How did you settle on what you were doing? Is it working at all? <laughs> yeah. So here's what's okay. So we've. I basically spent last year doing a ton of pivots. Um, basically, you know, for our restaurant, I was wrangling uh, aid because it's a traditional business. You know, there was there was aid available. And so we were, you know, I was like applying for grants, just doing tons of bank related stuff and accounting and like, you know, just trying to basically make sure the restaurant was okay because we wanted to make sure that all our employees were taken care of. And then Eventually we reopened and we wanted it to be safe for them. So I did like a ton of that. And because I was so in that mode, I also, we got home from the tour and I was like, oh, we need to, like, we owe all this money. Cause we basically had bought like tons of merch. We had all these expenses. I had to pay my crew. I had to pay my bandmates for the shows they had played, but the specific timing of the tour uh, having to go home from it was very bad. It was like, you basically spend all this money to go on tour and then like, and you're just counting on it. And then all of a sudden, like eventually the tour starts to like generate money and you make all your money at the end kind of. And so that's what you get paid out of. Well, I couldn't pay anyone. So we ended up doing um, a Kickstarter like in May and just people fucking showed up for that. It was <laughs> and so we're like, Oh my God, thank God. Oh my God. So I got all our bills paid. I paid my crew. I paid my band eventually paid myself um for the shows that we had played not for we didn't have enough for the canceled ones but uh uh well they weren't canceled postponed but um so then that was that like that was may and it got everybody like comfortable but then we start to realize like oh this tour is not gonna happen in july it's just <laughs> not gonna you start you know it gets to may and it's like 
I don't feel good about this. And so the, we created another backup plan. We pushed to March, like the March we're about to have. Well, that's not happening. Like we are working on finishing yet another postponement. And, um, you know, all we can do is we, we basically ask everyone we know in the industry, what do you think is the next postponement? And you try to figure out like who's got any kind of input. Um, so around uh, September, uh, I started to feel like, well, I don't think this tour is happening in March. It, you know, and you just, you basically, it's all these dominoes where it's like, it just keeps, you, it's, I, I, I didn't even get depressed about it like anymore because it was so far away from happening and just felt like, okay, well, we just need to come up with something. And I started to feel bad because like different band members, you know, had like, when they weren't on tour, like they would be like servers at like, one of them works at an oyster bar. Another one uh, is a bartender. And that's, you know, just the pickup gig that a lot of musicians have for when they're home. I was like, and I don't want them to go out and do that like all the time. If they can take less shifts and I can supplement it somehow, I want to try to figure that out. And so Sarah and our manager, Drew, had been pitching me on Patreon for like a while. They're just like, you should do this. You'd be good at this. And I'd be like, (laughs) I really didn't want to. And I was like, I never even like, like I would not sign up for a Patreon because that's just not, that's just not how I consume stuff. But then I started writing it and I was like, oh, I like this. This is fun. I at least like the writing. And I figured out a way to do it that I thought was, um, I mean, it's just storytelling. Uh, the way so for, for anybody, you know, listening, it's essentially what I've tried to do is we have like little features, like, you know, where we'll do like, here, here's a lesson on, you know, our bass players showing how to do the bass part for one of our songs. And here's, uh, you know, my why I wrote this song or what this is about. And we'll do stuff like that. But then the overarching concept of this Patreon is to do a multimedia uh, memoir starting from the very first show and following our comprehensive list of shows and going through and just saying, what do I fucking remember from this? And what are some interesting stories? Um, Why is this show important? What else is happening at this time? And I'm going through all our albums too. I'm actually, when I'm done with this call, I'm currently writing the, about the recording process for our first album. I did one for our EP already, but this is like our first album, like The Exorcist. And um, it's, it's so wild just digging in there and trying to figure out what you remember. <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, we're talking about now, uh, it would be 19 years ago in March um, when we recorded that record. And we were 19 years old and you know so it's just a long time ago uh to to just think about like to try to pull some stories out of it but then you start writing and it just comes out now as a band that uh has 2000 plus road gigs uh and who uh, enjoys having some whiskeys on stage how how does that impact memory 20 years on <laughs> how many of the early stories are are really coming through for you <laughs> you know it's to, to answer that question honestly the I remember the shows because like we were pretty with you know with some exceptions early on we have really tried to not be just fucking wasted on stage that's right. that's been a thing that we've tried to be careful about because we knew that that was a slippery slope and um you know we really tried to avoid that if possible even when we were young we were somewhat conscious of that the other thing was that when we were young, like we couldn't afford to buy alcohol. Like, I mean, even though we partied a lot, it was definitely like a, you know, get it when you can kind of thing. And um, we were just so broke all the time. And so like, as far as uh, partying, it was like, oh, is there a party? Cool. Like then, we, then we'd get messed up. And that's the story I don't remember. I don't remember the parties. <laughs> it's like, I remember the show. I maybe remembered that there was a party, <laughs> but I mean, back then we were just raging. I mean, we just, we partied so hard back then. 
but I, I do have to say we've always appreciated that about uh, the band because uh, last show up at the Stanley two days beforehand in Denver we saw Cursive play because your your boy likes a good cello band uh, and yep. uh, Tim was so drunk on stage that like from the opening bit it was just like I've never seen him this bad and the banter that night was really exceptional it was my my wife's first time seeing them and she's like why do you like them I was like it isn't like this but sometimes it is like I <laughs> he's you know he's super talented uh you know puts out so much music and you know he's he's a heck of a writer but yeah I'm like I don't know I don't know Tim um I've met him once or twice but like I've definitely like been in a town where like they had played a show and like one, I remember one time walking in Iowa City into a bar or into it would have been like Gabe's Oasis and he was just like passed out on the stage like like just laying there while everybody else partied after the show like we like we were just going to like an after party or something to have one with the bartender and he was just passed out on the stage while everybody was loading out and it was like I worry about that guy and he's like that's that's like let me put it this way like I think he's you know, he's a couple years older than me and like you see that stuff and you say right 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 like that that's that scares me and so I think that was like when I would see um, artists that I respected, uh, you know, play a show like that or, you know, after the show, I definitely was like taking mental notes and thinking, OK, like. I got to I got to like for me, I need to find my uh, comfortable area because, you know, it's like I have, I have no shade on anybody who does that. I, I don't like I don't like telling people what to do or and I don't I'm not a shamer or a judgy person at all um uh but the you know I reflect on what can I what can I gain from my experience of this you know and I and for me I, I internalize I'm like oh okay well I like to get fucked up I should probably be careful <laughs> you know it's like uh how long had you guys been wanting to do uh, a Christmas album and <laughs> do you think that uh, it'll remain I, I can't think of a more appropriate band to do a Christmas album in a year where everyone had to stay in lockdown it was just on constant play in the house and I was like I can't tell if this is making my mental health better or worse but I'm enjoying it <laughs> yeah so that was uh, you know we so we did three major pivots Kickstarter Patreon and the Christmas album and you know, that is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And here's why uh, Sarah and her brother have this Christmas playlist that we listen to every year. Um, and it's awesome. There's just so much good Christmas music out there that people don't know about. And, you know, there are some hits that are good ones, too. Like, I mean, we did Baby, Please Come Home. That song's undisputably good. Like, it's just <laughs> fucking great. And it's like, um, I mean, Darlene Love's amazing. And uh, so we we looked at it like, okay, how do we make a Christmas album? And it ended up changing so much from the original version. I had, I had kept a list in my phone for about eight, nine years uh, of songs that I wanted to do when we had time to do a Christmas album. And we never had time to do it. We recorded a couple in 2014 and then I was going to maybe use those and add, and then we just didn't get around to it. We've just been busy uh, or focused on other stuff. And, um, and then this opportunity came up and we realized like, well, we can't, we don't really want to get together and rehearse in a traditional way. So we decided to do that record. Um, Dagan, our drummer recorded from home in Oregon. And then we basically told him like, these are the songs. These are the tempos. Just put some drums down and we'll try to figure it out. And we just put down his drums and, uh, and he did a great job because he's just like the most reliable guy. <laughs> And uh, and then we uh, went into the studio. We had we had to have one person that had to fly in, but it was like a direct flight. We were trying to be so conscious of all this stuff. And um, he, uh, uh, you know, we basically we we all wore masks, you know, in the studio and we tried to record with no more than three people in the building at any time. But it's this huge building and we had like isolation booths uh, that we were like practicing in. Um, but yeah, we basically just went in and everybody had learned their stuff at home. And we just spent like 20, 30 minutes working out some specifics. And then we knocked it out 
in just a few days. And it was really fun to pick up our instruments again because I had not played my instrument since we got back from tour. It had been five months before uh, I just didn't feel like it because I've never had a break. And I was like, eh, I don't want to. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was fun to do it and it's fun to put it out. And then people really liked it and it sold really well. And um, we just put it out ourselves. Um, and uh, I think the thing that's interesting about it is that it's seasonal, you know, like people will listen to it every year. Like, I mean, we have Christmas stuff that we listen to every year and realizing that like 20 years from now, people are going to be putting that on during the holiday. That was something that I connected with in a way that was like, in a weird way, it could be a more enduring album than a typical one because it has um, a place, you know? I thought that was kind of wild. We just never had, there's never been something that's just like, oh, here's our, here's our little thing to repeat every year. Has, have you been working on a new album? Is there any idea of trying to do that with the band digitally or are you just kind of like, we'll get to that when we can be back in a place together? <laughs> So I just started writing like two days ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I give myself these huge breaks where I, I'll jot down ideas and I make lists and like I have like, you know, ideas are germinating at any point. But then I have to like focus and then really try to create some direction and then like complete songs so that I can sit there and play them and sing them and finish the lyrics. And then I go through this like, elaborate process of like um you know after i've completed them i'll write out chords and i'll um i will then basically present them to the band and be like uh basically pass or fail this song pass <laughs> well we call it dream hammer um we uh i i basically make them say pass fail or get like go back to work on it and then um we it's just how we cut through it because if my bandmates don't respond to it, it's just, how good is it? You know, it's like, I need them to go, Whoa, that's, that's cool. Or, you know, that's interesting. And like, sometimes a, a solid song will end up just cut and that's fine. I mean, usually what ends up happening is that we'll cut a song. Um, and then I'll panic that like a song that I thought was a surefire album track is gone so i'm like oh fuck i have to write a song and then i'll write like two more and then i'll realize that like both those two songs are better you know than the original one that i was so sure about and uh so it ends up being a good exercise to just sort of criticize yourself and um allow criticism from people you trust um but yeah i'm just starting like yesterday i was playing this riff to uh uh, and I recorded it and sent it to our bass player. I was like, I think it'd be cool if you did something like this over it. And we, he actually like recorded him playing bass over my little riff and sent it back to me. And we've never done that. Um, so my idea is to basically start early. And then we hope that this summer, um, once we can get all of us vaccinated, we hope that we can basically get into a rehearsal situation where we, uh, where it's safe for people to go cross country and then we could spend like a couple weeks starting the process of writing together. Um, we had originally planned on having an album out like end of summer this year, but it's going to be a year later now. I mean, there's just no way it doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, we have time, you know, we'll probably record in like a year. It's everything's just pushed back. I know that this is a concern in the stand-up world, uh, and I wonder if it's a concern in the music world as well, that like, we've all just spent a year where if you're gonna talk about your emotions or experiences, it's all exactly the same for everyone. Yeah. So is there any concern that when we get out of this, we have a couple of years of albums that are all just about like the frustration of being stuck inside? Uh, yeah, and so I'm very conscious of that and writing lyrics, um, writing lyrics is going to be the hardest part of making this album for sure. Um, because it's just, I was talking about this with Sarah last night where I was saying like, uh, we were watching the new Twilight Zone because we, we just started it like a couple days ago. 
And like people don't seem to like it that much. But as somebody who has like seen every episode of the old Twilight Zone and like Alfred Hitchcock presents, you know, that's kind of stuff. It's it's consistent. It's like those shows were hit and miss. Um, I, I like it. And I was saying how, you know, it's it's a very like topical show. Have you seen it at all or no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's very topical. And I was saying like, you know, I think the real difference is that in the 1950s, um, the speed of information traveling was just so different than it is now. And like, by the time, like, you know, the, there's an episode uh, with uh, John Cho uh, that's like uh, about a kid who gets elected president. And it's like, it's a satire on Donald Trump, obviously. And it's like, people didn't really like the episode and it's not even that they did a bad job. It's just, they don't want to fucking hear about it. Like they don't, people are sick of hearing about it and they're sick of seeing representation of our fucked up country and world. Like just, it's like, it's the same reason I'm not writing an album about a pandemic. You know, it's just like, I know there's a fucking pandemic, you know? I just feel like, you know, you gotta, as a creative person or an artist or any, you know, you have to find ways to connect with people that aren't the like the most obvious. Be- and I think that's the real challenge of being creative today is that by the time, like if you if you're trying to be relevant or topical and reach people, the stuff that would have been accessible in the past just by people not being inundated with information all the time, um, like you used to write about. That's you used to write about maybe current events in some veiled artistic way, but now everybody's really sensitive to it. And it's, you know, you're either like wearing your, uh, you're wearing like the current events, like on your sleeve and just saying like, Hey, I am a social artist, you know, or you're burying it really deep and hiding it in there in a way that is more um, obscure and probably more creative but it, it makes it hard. I mean, every, everybody gets so much information now. It's like, how many times do you see, you know, weird COVID news on your phone in one day, you know? It's like, I don't want to hear a song about it. Like, I don't want to watch a movie about it. Well, to be fair, all the movies made about it during pandemic have sucked shit. So yeah. Weird. You've watched them actually? Yeah, they're, oh, they're just brutally bad. <laughs> I just like that would I would never in a million you could put all my favorite people in it and I wouldn't watch it <laughs> like it's just, just, it's just unappealing <laughs> like I don't know um last call, last question before I let you get back to your day and thank you so much for your time uh, no problem Adam what's the first song you're playing at the first live show when you get back <laughs> that's a great question and I I need to think about what it's going to be hard to know what that show is going to be because we keep rescheduling everything. We'll probably do something around here in Kentucky. I imagine we had a benefit for girls rock set up and I really like the idea of our first show back being a benefit. I think that would be really cool. You know, and girls rock is a really cool program and um, we have a history with it, but um, so I like that. I thought about that, like first show back, if possible, it will be that. Um, and it's like, you know, local and just, it's going to be crazy playing live after that long. I think for some people, they're just like, oh, I can't wait. I am nervous as fuck. Like, I'm going to hate it. I promise you, I will be smiling and there'll be moments that'll be fun. I will be a nervous wreck and it's going to fucking suck for me because I'm going to be freaked out about remembering stuff. I've never had a break like this. And, um, but the first song there's there's got to be an obvious choice um like some lyrical turn i don't know terrible answer (laughs) (laughs) you have an idea no i i'm I'm not telling you what to play (laughs) yeah maybe uh the one that's jumping in my mind right now would that would be uh funny just to be shitty is uh we have a song on the latest uh regular full length uh only time that's basically 
just about like drifting in space alone for like years and years <laughs> and it's like it's basically just like a shut-in song and so it would be funny to start with something that's like you know that sort of uh leaning into the like the reflective I've been shut in thing and then to get into the fun stuff but uh fake them out with some depressing shit that's a good band-aid to pull off Adam have yourself a wonderful day I you can't too. wait to see you guys live again and best of luck loving everything on the Patreon can't wait to read uh, you, your, your album one right up <laughs> yeah I'll probably be harsh <laughs> we'll see <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Streetwise podcast from here at The Pitch. I am Brock Wilbur. Thank you so much for listening in. Thank you for supporting what we do. Stop by thepitchkc.com. Oh my God, Kat, you have to stop hitting me. We are almost done with this. Yes, yes, you're going to see upstairs again soon. I promise that you will see the other cats. Oh, you're knocking things over. Wonderful. Uh, Visit thepitchkc.com. Read all the excellent stuff that we've been writing uh absolutely check out the port fonda article we put up last week it is um i think award-winning journalism uh definitely important for the community to be reading thank you guys so much for listening in if you ever feel like tossing us a few bucks or being a supporting uh, member of what we do all that information is found on the website but mostly just take care of yourselves be nice to each other out there and uh get ready for summer oh my god please please give me warmth please let me go outside and just walk in a park by myself. I, I, I've earned this. All right. Uh, thank you so very much. Pitch in and we'll make it through. Love you. Bye. <laughs>